same old job in the same old recreation. My life in general bores me to the core. I need a permanent vacation. But I'm not gonna fool myself. I'm not gonna tell me lies. I won't pretend anything. I was gonna. Uh, the mic wasn't on, at least on this end. I was asking if everybody could hear me. They can hear me all loud and clear. Um, that's uh, I Want to See a Flying Saucer by Brave Combo. I don't really like that song, so I don't even know why I was playing it. It's Radio Mysterio, so here for... Um, what the hell is today? It's the 23rd. I should know it's the 23rd. 23 is my favorite number, of course. Uh, and we're here today with... Um, old Roddy Mysterioso friends, uh, Red Pill, Junkie, Miguel. Hello. Uh, Josh Cutchin. Coming right off my 32nd birthday yesterday. Yes, so happy birthday there. Yeah, I should it's, a, it's a great gift. It's a yeah. great gift. <laughs> and uh, first time ever on this show, and actually with his new show, he just debuted, I think, a few days ago, interviewing Richard Dolan, um, author of Somewhere in the Skies and Somewhere in the Skies podcast, Ryan Sprague. Guys, it's an honor. I've listened to all of you all the time, and uh, I, I'm I'm a little nervous, to be honest. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> I think we all are. Yeah. Original intro, it's Greg intro or anti-ETH? Well, you know what my vote is. I mean... <laughs> I know it's your vote. Ryan's a first time. What's your vote? Ooh. Let's go anti-ETH. Okay, here, here's the anti-ETH. In fact, I'll, I'll turn One of it us. Up. Yeah. One of us. We yeah. accept you. Yeah. Google gobble. <laughs> <laughs> no, the, the whole extraterrestrial thing is not, uh, not a viable solution to this. We, we need to go f- through a turning point in the study of, of this whole domain, away from ideology, we're not here to prove that we're being visited by, you know, aliens from this planet or that star. That may very well be true, but we have not done the basic work. I have this hunch that the um, that this that this phenomenon is um, comes from, comes from some sort of domain of pure information, and the fact that they can interact with us at all suggests that uh, that we inhabit the domain. It's also in the future, for that is where you and I are going to spend the rest of our lives. And remember, my friend, future events such as these will affect you in the future. You are interested in the unknown, the mysterious, the unexplainable. That is why you are here. And now, for the first time, we are bringing to you the full story of what happened on that fateful day. We are giving you all the evidence based only on the secret testimony of the miserable souls who survived this terrifying ordeal. The incidents, the places. My friend, we cannot keep this a secret any longer. Let us punish the guilty. Let us reward the innocent. Yeah, punish. My friend, can your heart stand the shocking facts (laughs) about 
Radio Misterioso. Jeez, that 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 is um, actually my voice on there saying Radio Misterioso. I've, I've changed and messed with in in uh, various audio programs. Anyway, the sounds uh, good. Yeah, thank you. And uh, the the uh, MJ Benias wanted to come on. I, I said yes, but maybe I answered too late because I haven't heard from him. Um, he may call in at some point because, and if he does, we'll have him on. Um, but I have not heard back from him, and he 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 asked like like forty five minutes ago. So um, <laughs> we'll see what happens. If he can join us, great. Um, the the reason we're having the show is uh, well, obviously it was announced, but. Um, can you guys remember? I think we were talking about Arrival somewhere, and somebody said, well, why, just don't, why don't we just have another show about it with all of us? Because everybody's expressing opinions, including Robbie Graham. I watched the movie again today, uh, at least most of it, and uh, wrote some notes down. And I don't even remember what Miguel and I talked about last time we, uh, when we brought it up on the show. Actually, Miguel ran to the theater to see it, I think, the day before or the day of the show. Didn't you? I think that day before the show. Oh, okay, yeah. yeah. It's fresh on the mind then. Yeah, I just finished watching it tonight again as well, um, which was wonderful. Seeing it again for a second time, you catch so much more, you know, once you once that initial, I think, uh, you know, punch in the gut from the, uh, you know, from seeing it the first time, then you can kind of, you know, look at it in a whole new light the second time. Yeah. And it goes without saying this is a spoilerific show oh it's totally oh, yes. yeah it, it's totally spoiler i mean we we can't talk about it and say oh well, we can't talk about that no i mean at this point if you haven't seen it um if you don't like spoilers tough um stop listening pl- plug your ears and hum a lot whatever but uh <laughs> we're gonna talk about how the aliens took over the earth yeah <laughs> and then yeah. the big then the giant battle where vin diesel flies in his biplane yeah <laughs> with rockets on, on ju- rocket assisted gotcha, yeah Exactly. So, you guys must have had the director's cut. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They they were so they were so uh, uh, nasty with Dennis. What's his name? Villeneuve, who was the director. Uh, they, they they just would not give him final final cut. So it, yeah. it, it's just that that the director's cut is much better. Uh, <laughs> oh, MJ's online now. Let's see if he saw my message. Um, if he did, then we can. Oh, there he's seen the he's seen the message. Let's see what he says. He he might uh, call in. I was yeah. going to say, it'll be really awkward if uh, he says no. <laughs> <laughs> no, fuck you, guy. <laughs> I don't want to uh, now. I he didn't say wife. yes right away. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, we wish, we wish uh, MJ can join us. You know? yeah. I'm, I'm looking forward to chatting with him. Okay. Absolutely. Let me, they're asking about you. There we go. <laughs> See what he says. Maybe, maybe he can call in here. Uh, let me see if I can add him. Uh, I, I I would apologize for this kind of uh, uh, unscheduled uh, uh, pauses and things things in the show, but uh, that that's just the way the show is, and this is the, this is why I like the show, and I'm going to keep it this way. In fact, a lot of mistakes I leave in because I don't want to. I I want to feel like what what I'm doing here is 100 percent honest, and all I'm editing out is uh, basically me sounding stupid or saying um uh uh. <laughs> so uh, I have a question for you guys: Have any of you read the short story of this before we uh, even? Yeah, that was movie? something I wanted to ask. Yeah, 
I'm sorry. I'm stealing your thunder, my man. No, no, no. Yeah, go I ahead. Have, I, I evangelized for the short story quite yeah. heavily amongst, yeah, <laughs> amongst he's, my He did my it circle. to me. That's how I found out um, about it. Right away. Um, it's, it's, it's almost more of a... It's almost more of a novella. I think it's just under the uh, the uh, I think it's just under the the word limit before it becomes a novella because it's like forty five pages or something. It's yeah, pretty substantial. Um, and you know it's interesting because I mean I think in terms of the way it was adapted, like it was it was I think it was adapted in a very smart way because the the short story is a little bit more clinical. Um, uh. For example, imagine sort of the the. <laughs> I think it's sort of a shaggy part of the film, but um, the voiceover that uh, Timothy Renner, uh, sorry Jeremy Renner does, um, is uh, is kind of sort of the tone of most of the of most of the novel. That sort of clinical approach to things. Um, but for the most part, like all the big all the big uh, points that I really enjoyed from the short uh, short story were definitely present in the in the film. Um, the one. Yeah, yeah. The Go one ahead. thing that I don't think that they got across, which I re- really would have liked to have seen them get across, is that they emphasize the uh, symmetricality of the heptapods in the short story. Right. And the idea of the symmetricality is why their language evolved to be the way it is and why you know humans with a, f- a set of forward-facing eyes evolved to have our language be as linear as it is and our perception of time as linear as, linear as it is. That doesn't quite come across in the movie. Um, Not really. You know, that's, that's one thing that's One thing I wish they would have uh, – they would have – they would have – Maybe uh, double down on a little bit more, but it's kind of a it's kind of a small gripe with how well I think this whole thing came together. Yeah, one one thing that I feel the 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 movie deviated from the original short story is that in the short story the heptapods end up being more tricksterish. You know, I mean, the humans in the short story are pressing them to try to you know all obviously trying to get something out of the, the superior aliens, some new technology, something, right? Some bartering, some uh, something out of the, the the superior beings. And in the short story, it seems as if the, the, the aliens comply and give them something, which in the end turns out to be <laughs> a technology that uh, humans ha- had already uh, Produced, you know, secretly, you know, by, by some kind of like uh, private corporation. But because in the short story, I feel that there's not really uh, any given actual explanation of why the aliens came to the Earth in the first place. Right. Yeah. I mean, all we sort of get is that hint of. Um you know, which, which I think a lot of these movies that really reflect more on the humans than the aliens themselves is mm-hmm. that idea that they're here to give us something that will eventually save us. Exactly. Um, what I thought was really interesting with this one, and I'm sure we'll get to this later, is the idea that while that may be the case with this, it's also because they need us eventually in some distant time. And we don't know when and we actually don't know why. I think I think. Miguel, you make a good point. Like, we still, even in the movie, don't know why they eventually need us. What was it? 3,000 years in the future? Um, yeah. I, yeah. I love the ambiguity of that. That we, we why they, while they may need us, we still have no, re, no idea why. Um, I found that fascinating. I don't know if the, the point of the, the short story, the Ted Chang short story, uh, A Story of Your Life, Sorry if I haven't been listening completely because I'm uh, MJ's coming on here in a little bit. But cool. um, 
I, it seemed more the point of the story was the Sapir Wharf hypothesis about um, language capitulating um, your your worldview, and also with the added uh, cherry or whatever that the the, alien, the heptapod language actually did something to your perception of time, which is which was a heavy theme in the, in the film. And I think the film the um, oh he's calling in. Hey! Oh, there we go. There we go. There he is. Hey, MJ. Okay, we're uh, we're right in the. It's going great. We're right in the middle of talking about um, the differences between the short story. Did you read the short story? Did you ever read the um, story of your life? I have to admit, I have not. Okay, but you have seen the film. Yes. Okay, but the difference between the two, I I was saying, was that in the film, they they kind of emphasize uh, the theme is if you knew what your life was going to be, would you live it anyway? Is uh, that right. that's the philosophical question in the film, and I think the more the, the the more important question that I got out of the story was that was secondary to the story. The story was more like I said the uh, Sapir Whorf hypothesis about um, your language capitulates your worldview and vice versa. I mean the the short story almost has the feeling of a uh, of a thought experiment or something. Yeah. Um, it's like someone, you know, and I, 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 I wish that Terrence McKenna was around to have seen this film because I think he would have gone gaga over it. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, a lot of the concepts that he always talked about, you know, in terms of telepathy and and uh, you know octopus communication, the idea of seeing an entire like an entire emotion, an entire state of being, instantaneously is really I think uh, distilled quite well in the, in the in the film and in the short story too, but. Uh, Pretty much in the film. I mean, the film does a. I I can't imagine being the person tasked with visualizing some of these things from the short story, and I thought they did a handy job of it. Yeah, uh, MJ says he. I've uh, only got how, how much? How long do you have there, MJ, to, to be on, be with us on the show? I have to be honest, it really depends on my daughter. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, she uh, runs the show. She. I have to be honest. I just recently became a father, so yeah. The the show is. Uh, yeah, she's in charge. Let's put it that way. Yeah, that, that's what happens. You saw the film, obviously. When did you did you see it in the theater? Yeah, yeah, I saw it in the theater. Yeah, my wife and I went uh, probably two nights after it was released. Uh, yeah. So was, what, what uh, was uh, what was your impression? Not reading the short story because I think most of us here maybe read the short story. I because of reading it had a, a different appreciation of the film. It actually made me very emotional a lot of the time, probably oh, yeah. because I read the story first. But how about you? Right. Yeah, you know, um, you know, it's funny. You think you're talking about theme, and and the two, you know, you, you sort of talking about the two potential themes that you sort of you took you took away out of it, the idea that, um, uh, you know, language defines sort of your personal reality, and then you know the sort of I guess the more um, pop culture theme or the general theme was this idea is if if you could sort of know what was going to happen in your life, would you relive it? Um, and I and I think you know it, it's interesting. You you sort of pose like you said an interesting philosophical question, and ultimately um i i think the film you know it's about aliens but it's ultimately you know more about um humanity right and 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 mm-hmm. when it comes to life itself um if you had like you said the choice to sort of know would you do it again or or would you sort of I guess in this film, would you do it again? I'm not sure when it comes to time right you know the time is kind of wibbly wobbly in this film so mm-hmm. um I think the aliens act as a sort of MacGuffin in this film. Ultimately, the aliens are sort of irrelevant um, because because really the film isn't about the aliens. It's about um, the the people, uh, particularly Amy Adams's character and mm-hmm. and 
her ability to, uh, I guess, need to still experience life with her daughter, um, knowing full well it sort of gets derailed. Um, which for me was emotional. I mean, I just had a daughter, right? So um, mm. when I saw this film, I think I, I watched the first ten minutes and I was bawling. Um, <laughs> you know, um, but but really, you know, I, I, I after the first ten minutes, I very quickly realized the aliens are are totally irrelevant to this movie. Hmm. Like they're they're irrelevant in the sense that sorry, they are relevant in the sense that. <laughs> She understands their language and can can therefore sort of come to the, the the main climax of the story and then sort of you know the resolution. But ultimately, are they really essential to um, the overall, I guess, theme or through line? Um, no, I mean, yeah, and, and on the, like so, it's sort of the ten thousand foot bird's eye view. I mean, on the macro level, it's it's a tale about you know communication and humanity. It sort of occurred to me the other day that it's. It's kind of an inversion of the Tower of Babel parable. Huh, um, you have right, right. You have disarray and humanity. I mean, the implication is humanity is brought together um, through, as opposed to pride, humility. Um, right. You know, and and being a sort of able to um, join in to this sort of you know shared universal language sort of idea is at least the implication of the ending to me. Um, so yeah, it's, it's it's interesting the way that sort of flipped on its head. Yeah, the isn't other, it true that? Sorry, but in the end, uh, that whole thing is the the crux of this passion that we all share. You know, the the passion for ufology. That the reason we uh, are desperately looking for the other being alien beings is because we are looking for a mirror, mm-hmm. for another perspective in which to look at us. Yeah, and they provide that um, basically in the. It's like an overlay of ufology almost. I I did want to point out one thing. This is the first time that every uh, uh, I've had this many people on the show that are uh, well. More importantly, all people on the show right now are authors in the coming book, um, UFOs Reframing the Debate. Every single ah, one of us. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So it's, cheers, gentlemen. Yes, cheers, cheers to you all, and um, I'm uh, proud to have you all on here and to be able to talk about this. You know, we'll get to some of this other stuff too because that's just I, the I way the, real, the show is. Does that make Greg though? Does that make then like the the book UFOs re- reframing the debate? Does it become the MacGuffin then of this particular <laughs> theme? <through life? laughs> like, is the book actually irrelevant? Uh, yeah, but the thing, simply, yeah, but the MacGuffin is important. You see, in in, in fact that it in, in in the way that it, I'm just trying to justify our existence, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, in in the way that it was the linchpin of the thing that it that resulted from it, which is great. You mean I I think any excuse to give people another way to look at things and this film is one of them on a mass scale is a is a great thing i don't i don't even i almost don't even care what the the message is as long as people get thinking in a different way and you know uh, i don't even about progress is made but the, the things are changed as a result of it and things are not stagnant that that that's you know, the best thing that can be done i think and i think yeah. this ties in especially to ryan's book right i mean you know ryan Somewhere in the skies is really not necessarily about the the, the encounters of the beings. It, it's more about the people, right? And, right. and your entire right. book focuses on this aspect. It's about the people. It's not about their experiences, right? Yeah, I mean, I mean, I I'm not to say that you know the UFO event itself or like the film Arrival, the aliens are not the catalyst for the events playing out. But yeah, I think like Miguel said, this is 
definitely about the people. Um, one of the one of the best scenes I I love in this film uh, is when uh, what's her name Luis is talking with Jeremy Renner's character Ian, yeah, and they're just having this conversation with the massive you know craft or they call it a shell in the background and it's just chilling there while they're having this really profound uh human connection with one another and it's blurred out you can't really see it it's beautiful cinematography and they're talking about the and it's human twilight head. too it's like right after yes. sunset it's gorgeous it's a gorgeous scene and like you guys said the alien uh quote-unquote invasion which uh I wouldn't really call it that in this film. Uh, it's completely inconsequential to everything else going on. So I love that aspect of it. I would not really consider this an alien movie by any means, except for the fact that aliens have come to sure. the planet. Yeah, and, and something that you touched upon there um, too, Ryan. Uh, I mean, I I think there's this this hesitancy to sort of um, speak highly about this film because it's so new and hasn't had a, t- a chance to you know to age and grow on people but like there's some real craft that goes into this i mean i, I took a look last night and i thought about simply the use of the color palette mm-hmm. up until the uh, up until the aliens arrive is all very like very blue very cool i mean it's um if you if you go through it with that in mind it's almost like almost overdone <laughs> to yeah the point it's that, that it's once- that teal that's uh, in most other films and then it changes yeah yeah, well, yeah, it starts to warm up once the aliens arrive, and you know, it's it's you know, if you look at sort of Amy Adams's character, um, she's you get the impression that she's isolated. She lives she lives at home alone. Her mom is worried about her, and so it's this idea of um, of sort of warming to uh, the greater world around you, and be- being more open to this sense of community and this sense of <laughs> dare I say communion um, with, <laughs> with, with, with 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 ding, the ding, universal. Ding, ding. And opening up to that, um, and I just I think that like I think that um, as much love as I've seen this get in you know alternativia, it it deserves a lot of a lot of uh, praise for just it being so uh, technically and thoughtfully put together. Yeah, I actually thought it was significant that a woman is the center of this and not a man. Um, that a woman would be more. What's the word? It, it's a it's a feminine way of trying to communicate. She doesn't. As an example, the military people, all that. Um, oh, what's the actor's name? The guy that plays the uh, general, uh, Forrest Whitaker. Yeah, that's it. Whitaker, Thank you. Yeah. All he says, all we want to know is why they're here and what they want, and you know, right. basically military questions. The scientific guy, um, the the physicist, uh, Ian. What I can't remember the actor's name. Um, all he asks is. Um, you know what is uh, what? What kind of math do they use, and uh, what is their what is their physics like? And and here the um, the language the linguist comes in and says we just kind of got to find out how to talk to each other. We got to <laughs> yeah, do that first. And everybody's got this agenda, and hers is we have to find out how to talk to each other. You guys, you can't it's, go it's from a, anything a, else besides it, that. It's it's. I mean, you know, don't get me wrong. March for Science is all good and all, but this is a film about the humanities saving the world, yeah. basically. Yeah, and, it kind uh, of is. That that warms the cockles of my heart a great deal. Yeah. Well, I just want to add, too, guys, like we all – obviously, we're all dudes here, 
But we know for a fact that some of these UFO researchers, the the women in particular, uh, they are the ones who these experiencers and genuine witnesses of UFO events want to talk to. Mm-hmm. Uh, because they know they can trust them, that they'll be nurturing, that they will uh, have compassion. Whereas, you know, let's be honest, when it comes to a lot of the uh, dominant male researchers out there, it's, oh, what did they want? Exactly like this film, you know, where Amy Adams, her character, she's, she does, she could give two shits if it took, you know, 20 years to yeah. even get one sentence out of these aliens yeah, yeah. like that's mm-hmm, what mm-hmm. she feels is most important whereas yeah. the There's military connection, yeah yeah she wants a connection no matter how long it takes because one misstep like we see the the difference between weapon and what gift is uh massive in scale so uh yeah it's astounding to me and i, I think it was amazing to have this um very dynamic actress play this role i think she did a wonderful job with it yeah uh, miguel and i actually watched i i got you know as soon as it came out on uh digital download i got it and there's you know all these different uh, making of and uh different uh, uh featurettes to go along with it and um one of them was the uh the fact that uh the the director villeneuve said uh he, they contacted him about doing it one, and he said, "Yeah, I'll do it, but I'll only do it if Amy Adams plays the lead role." And he said the producers wow. freaked out. They're like, "No, oh well, my god!" And they sent it to her, and she said yes immediately hmm. um, because she was so impressed with the script. She said she actually was going to go take a break and go be a mom for a while and all this, and then she saw this and said, "No, I'll do it." So the fact wow. that she said yes right away was at least in the way that was said in the uh, portrayed in the. Um, this little documentary doc, uh, mini docu uh, mini doc on the uh, uh, along with the film was that if she hadn't said yes, it probably wouldn't have gone ahead, or wouldn't have gone ahead with Villeneuve anyway. Which is uh, it's very important that I don't think anybody else would have done the film this way, based on the way he does things. And to me, when people ask what the film's like, one of the things I say it's like Kubrick with a heart. That's a great oh, way to yeah. look at it. Yeah, yeah interesting. You know, yeah, I mean, there's, there's stuff there's is very emotional... clinical, and this is not. I mean, it's anything but clinical. Yeah, there, there's there's an emotional center to this that I think has been lacking in a lot of sci-fi too. I mean, I've gone head to head with Miguel on numerous occasions about how I appreciate Interstellar more than I like it. <laughs> the reason that the reason that the reason that I'm not the reason I'm not I'm, not, I'm personally not as fond of um, Interstellar is because I don't think. I mean, I know Miguel would disagree with me a huge amount, but I don't feel like there's this this really resonant emotional core to it like you see in this film. Um, yeah, that's a good point. Um, Full stop. Actually, if you guys don't mind, MJ, I've got a question for you, man. Being that you focus on cultural studies a lot, um, yeah. what do you think of this whole the Sapir Whorf hypothesis? I know this is very controversial, and it's pretty much at this point been proven to not really be that you know prominent i guess yeah but the film seemed to really focus on that and use it as its driving force so I, i'm interested to hear what you know sorry. someone like with your background thinks of that r- r- sorry repeat the term i'm trying i, I misheard i must oh of course the uh what is it again Sapir wharf yeah. hypothesis it's yeah, you're you're right yeah, yeah based on okay. two linguists who uh decided i mean uh propose that our worldview, our view of reality, how we react to things, interact with each other is all based on our language. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, okay. So, 
yeah, <laughs> linguistic philosophy is, is sort of, I think, what a lot of scientists say is that's all that's left of philosophy. It's, I think it was actually Stephen Hawking who said all uh, philosophy anymore is just about language um, and, and nothing else, right? Because philosophy has kind of come to its um, climax, I think Stephen Hawking would say. Um, but, you know, it's interesting when we think about um, not necessarily sort of words, but when we think about the way humans string together sort of sounds um, to form words and then ideas, right, based upon them, we, we really generate for sure, I think, in my opinion, um, a, a set version of reality that exists within a, a sort of a spatial realm, right? Because one requires sound waves and one requires, um, I guess, the, the possibility of, of stringing sounds together in, in, a, in a sort of a logical pattern that allows us to communicate. Um, I, I think I think the, the the this film raises some interesting, and I, I think I have a blog post about this. But the film does raise an interesting idea, especially when it comes to ufology itself. And I've and I've raised this concern um, with sort of people within the discourse move discourse people within sorry excuse me within the disclosure movement um, about you know these sort of backroom potential deals between the aliens and us and our government officials and and the handshakes between our presidents and and them you know is it possible for an alien species from a totally separate evolutionary standpoint a totally separate evolutionary path to be able to actually easily communicate with us um, and the UFO narrative kind of goes back and forth on this um, and I think, Ryan, you know, I think you and I have talked about this before, uh, especially when it comes to disclosure, is ultimately, you know, if you're dealing with a species that has evolved in a completely different way, and and, and we're even talking beyond spatial evolution, right? In this case, in the case of the film, the aliens evolved in a temporal evolution, right, along a timeline versus, right. uh, versus space, um, where you and I, right, you and I function within a, a spatial sort of reality and the aliens don't, right? They function sort of within time itself. Or that's dominant, um, yeah. Yeah, and, and mm-hmm. is is communication then sort of easily possible um, between space and time? Now, now the film, obviously, you know, has a sort of a, a magical element to it, right? Where she starts to, because she's able to start, I guess, thinking in their language, and then I guess it's, it's mentioned that she dreams in their language, Correct, she's yeah. able to then sort of see through time similarly to the way they are. And she leaves sort of doesn't leave it, but she's able to function sort of within the spatial realm and within the temporal realm sort of simultaneously, um, which sort of leads to the climax of the film. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think I'm not sure sort of philosophically where, where this would all stand, but ultimately I think ufologically um, this is probably a big issue for, I think the disclosure movement overall, Right. How do you deal with potentially an alien species? And if it is alien, like, you know what I mean? Like, if it, if it is beings from another planet, let's say, you know, can they communicate with us along the same level that, that, that we would be able to understand? You, you see what yeah. I mean? Like, Absolutely. It takes months and months for them to figure out, you know, basic alien communication. And then you sort of have this magical moment with this one woman who is able to sort of move beyond, I suppose, right? It does require a bit of a leap of, of magic, I guess, in the case of Amy Adams' character, um, because no one else can do it, right? No one else can piece it together like she can, for some reason, mm-hmm. right? And that's never really explained in the film. Well, I, to me, it was it made sense because she entered their 
uh, mental space or whatever you want to call it by basically figuring out their language and being on the front line of that and getting to the point where it starts to affect her so she can experience things the way that they experience it. Right. And when you said thing about space and time, I thought that was very interesting because in space, I get, you know, you can see how far you're going or I'm going to go over here. Or you can see that thing in time. You can't do that. But these, the, the heptopods, experience time in the way we experience space where it's it, yeah. there's no you know there might be something that's far away in time but they can still see it or yeah, maybe it doesn't they, make any right, difference to them right. the way we perceive distance right you know I'm, I'm sitting in front of a laptop right yeah the way i perceive space between myself and the laptop they perceive that through time yeah mm-hmm. and it's interesting right. they see time as not uh, linear but circular and their language is is written in circles Yes. Correct. And also their uh, vibrational language or their audible language is completely different from their written language, which yeah. I also found fascinating. Yeah. That really ties that the idea that, you know, we would first focus on their audible language to try to decipher and right. decode that. But when we really look at what they're how they're trying to communicate with us, it's completely written. Yeah. And, and like and, you said, it's that linear aspect of time. Yeah. To, and to answer your question, I mean, there's human languages that don't translate with each other, right? We often refer sure. to this as something being called lost in translation, right? Um, so, so, you know, when it comes to reality perception... Um, I think we see this within humanity itself. Um, you know, like the German term Schadenfreude, for example, has no <laughs> sort of definition in English, right? We can sort of, we can, we can yeah, sort of near dance it. or we can, yeah, exactly. We can kind of dance around the definition, mm-hmm. but we, we can't really, we, we, as, as a non-native It's German culturally speaker, bound. Exactly. Yeah. I don't necessarily, mm-hmm. I'm not able to fully grasp the, de- the, the understanding that it's attached to schadenfreude versus sort of, I, I can dance around the, the sort of the understanding of what it means, but ultimately I don't, I, I'm not embedded in it. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm sure, I'm sure, you know, Miguel with Spanish, there's, there's dozens and dozens of words that, that don't oh, translate yes. perfectly into English and English words that don't translate perfectly into Spanish. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's he- so true. You know, that's, one of the reasons what I, uh, when I, we first, uh, Greg and I discussed uh, the movie Arrival is, you know, uh, you realize that con- context is everything. Without context, the actual, you know, the meaning of the words uh, is utterly lost. You know, yeah. it's, it, it defies translation. <laughs> Two quotes from the movie I picked up while you were talking that I, that I wrote down. Um, when uh, the physicist is describing how he's uh, listening to Amy Adams, um, two quotes, the writing conveys meaning. It doesn't represent sound. And unlike speech, the logogram is free of time. So we're right. We're, 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 we're in the wheelhouse on this one so far. Mm-hmm. I, I think mm-hmm. that's what's going on in the film. Um, it's trying to get people, the audience to, be introduced to these concepts in the way that we're talking about them and see if that can affect the way they see probably in a very basic level see others and see other cultures because at the end you know one of the worst uh, one of the worst scariest enemies we have right now is is part of the salvation of the film um, that's that's a good point yeah in in you have to think you know um the the time that this short story was written you know uh why they chose a uh, more Euro-centric and or, let's get really specific, like an American um, lens to view this film through. Like, what what if we were seeing it from the Chinese or from the Russians? Uh, I, I 
I could imagine the film would be completely different. Um, yeah. So you have mm-hmm. to wonder, you know, why did they choose China and Russia to be the ones to say, oh, we're going to go to war immediately? Um, and I, I think they were pretty balanced. I mean, the Americans were on on par with that as well, but they were not the ones to initiate it. it, it that's interesting, too. Right. Yeah. If we did, well, if somebody had made the film in in China or Russia or whatever too, if that's what you were suggesting, at least partially, I don't think that we would have gotten the. It, it, just like uh, MJ was saying about uh, Schadenfreude, uh, that it would w- we would not get all the cultural references, and for better or worse, at least in this country or at least most of the Western Hemisphere and most of the world, a lot of the cinematic language comes from this country. Yeah. I mean, I right. think that I think that so far. Any any country without a romance language probably would not appreciate this like romance language company uh, countries do, hmm. right? I mean, I think conceptually, um, aren't aren't uh, characters in? Uh, correct me if I'm wrong because this is way out of my <laughs> this is way out of my wheelhouse. But um, uh, Chinese or Japanese characters generally represent ideas, right, rather than individual characters coming together to form something, right? Uh, mm-hmm. Classical, yes. Mm-hmm. So I th- more so of an architect situation. I think that that would, I mean, that aspect alone would play differently in another country. Um, yes, so they have to tell the story differently. So, so from an, from an, you know, and also as a side note, like it's fascinating to me that a film like this with so little foreign marketability um especially for a chinese market where the chinese are sort of the bad guys it's amazing to me that that got the green light from a major motion picture because like the chinese market is such a huge part of how uh you know films are are tabulated as being profitable or not nowadays so you know kudos to uh yeah one of the heroes turns out to be chinese so i think that's the uh kind of in fact the hero the 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 deus ex machina hero basically turns out to be the chinese Mm -hmm. general Fair yeah. enough. That's one way to look at it, I suppose. They may um, just, just redub it as well. <laughs> they just <laughs> redub the whole. You know what I mean? Like just. Yeah. Or they could just. They could just. <laughs> Imperialist dog uh, alien. Yeah. Change all the American flags to Canadian. Nobody will know the difference. <laughs> Nobody will know. Yeah, it's I pretty much that. I uh, I just started watching the new uh, MST3K, and they've got a uh, you know a rip off of Godzilla, and the the dubbed voices are actually French to these <laughs> South Korean actors. It's one of the funniest things I've ever seen. Talk about getting lost in translation. <laughs> oh, sorry. They, to- they told me to... Uh, I said I was going to go get tea, and Miguel said, where's the tequila? So I was taking a shot of that. So now I finished the tequila. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You didn't miss much. I was talking about MST3K. No, no, I was <laughs> listening to you. I haven't watched the MST3K. Is that What's that on right now? Uh, uh, Netflix. What? Yeah, they just. Oh, Netflix. Did a new okay, season. I got it. Yeah, yeah, I Have heard about that. Heard and I haven't about seen it. the Binaha tribe in the Amazons. Is this the Amazon beaming thing? No, no. Okay. So this is a tribe where a guy who was a Western um, missionary yeah. went to live among them. But inter- inter- interestingly enough. After living among them, he was kind of like, instead of converting them to Christianity, they converted converted him into their way of living, you know. So eventually mm. he, like, forced his wife, you know, uh, you know, changed his life entirely. But 
the point, uh, the reason I'm bringing them here into this discussion is because one of the reasons why it was so difficult for him to try to convert them to Christianity is because the concept of time was completely different or, or at least radically different from the way that a Westerner will envision time. And one of the things they will say to him is, okay, uh, like, I don't, I, I don't remember the guy's name. Let's say his name was John. So, John, you want to talk to us about Jesus. Did you know Jesus? And he will say, well, no, he, Jesus lived a long time ago. Okay, so did your father know Jesus? <laughs> said, well, no. no. Like I said, it was a long time, long before my father was born. Okay, so did your grandfather know <laughs> I said, well, no, this was even longer for us. Okay, and then the, the guys in the, in the tribe said, well, you know, then we don't really know, want to know about Jesus. You know, if none of your relatives uh, knew Jesus, then, you know, don't talk about him. Yeah, it's, 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 it's the, irrelevant. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's the way they live. They live in a kind of like a time span in which if, if, a, if an incident happened and none of the people currently alive were there to experience it, or know somebody it's no longer did. relevant. Yeah. So, are you saying then they had no sort of aspect of like a religious or 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 like they had no concept of like deities or anything like that, like gods or or? Not or necessarily, spe- but they 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 didn't seem to have like a like a lore or a tra- or a spoken tradition, something that happened that you say, well, you know, this legend happened, you know. Mm-hmm. The, on the theme of our father's father's father. Oh, right, right. Know? So the legends were, potentially the legends were sort of coexisting with the tribe sort of at the same time? Because, I mean, I, I'm sure they must have traditions in the sense of like how they bury their dead or how they celebrate various holidays, right? Which would have happened in the past. I'm just trying to wrap my head around this. Or, or is the tradition sort of simultaneously coexisting with the tribe as it lives through time right so there's no disconnect temporally between the, the first event and the and the current time so probably probably our, they will they will assume you know when they are doing something that is tradition they said well this is the way that we do it right instead so our, of saying this is the way that we've always done it right, right. right yeah. it sounds more like a problem of provenance than it is of time almost yeah, or, or it's like a totally different interpretation of, of how tradition exists within a culture. Like, I'm trying to trying to put this in words, but it's it's almost like um, there is no differentiation between the present and. Um, Let me put it this way: that yeah, yeah. maybe perhaps uh, in, in in that tribe, you know. They build their huts in a certain way, and if you ask them, is how why do you build uh, the roof of your hut? So they went, well, that this is the way that my, that my father taught me. And right. so how did your father learn to do that? Well, that that's, that's the way his father taught him. You know, right. so there's there's some kind of like uh, living continuity, right? In the way that uh, they pass information. Right. Yeah, that, right. That's... It's something that we might consider history sort of dies with 
each generation almost in, yeah. you know, in a sense even a mindset you know just completely uh how would you even say it like fades into obscurity once that generation uh you know proverbially kicks the bucket i guess yeah imagine if you were forced to learn everything that you, you need to know in order to live your life in a certain society you need to learn it everything you know, from mm-hmm. your living parents. Yeah, and there's no and specialization. To, yeah, right. and you don't get to, like, try to uh, learn something else from something that it was written a long time ago. You know, that's that's mm-hmm. either not permitted or it's considered, you know, uh, useless. Yeah. It's a blind trust in your family, in a way, your relatives. Yeah, and yeah. yeah. You're, you're, you're living outside of any sort of education or academics even that's that's interesting mm-hmm. i had um uh a reading of um what was it oh i have read uh the um cabeza de vaca uh account of wandering through basically what was the continental united states from sometime in the late 14th century to the early 15th i believe or the late 15th mm-hmm. to the early 16th when he was mm-hmm. the only person that a lot of people the, that the native population here had ever seen that was not another, you know, uh, 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 Native American, mm-hmm. it's, it's a fascinating account. It, it's, I've read it probably five, six, eight times because it's just fascinating to me. However, um, apparently he uh, had wandered into part of New Mexico, into the Zuni tribe. Um, probably sometime before Spaniards even had gotten anywhere near there. He was the first one. Him and I think uh, um, one of the slaves they had, a uh, uh, um, black guy. Um, so he came through there. They, I think, in fact, I think they, the tribe got pissed off with them and killed the the black the the, the black guy because I guess he was he wasn't saying things they wanted to hear and the the Spaniard. Um, um, I guess saw this and said, "Okay, I guess I'm going to act a little bit differently." But um, you know, he, there was that story. So in the 1890s, an anthropologist, uh, Frank Cushing from the Smithsonian Institution, visited the uh, Zuni tribe, and he was the first person to show up that wasn't uh, the, uh, the first uh, you know uh, Anglo to show up that didn't want anything from them except their stories. He didn't want their land. He didn't want to take them over. He didn't want to exploit them for anything, really. He just wanted to find out who they were, what their culture was, all that, because he was an anthropologist in 1890 or whatever it was. He took the train out, then he had to get on a horse and hike or whatever to finally get out to the Zuni reservation. He knew about Cabeza de Vaca and 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 the man that was with him. He asked them about it, and they remembered it, even though this was, what, 300 years and the way they remembered it, it was because, you know, that they remembered, oh, yeah, we killed that guy. And they said, we don't know how long ago that was. That was, you know, that was in the ancient time sometime. It's part of our part of our culture. And they figured it out. He asked them, could you please try and figure out how long ago that was? And they figured it out by putting grains of sand on the floor, grains of sand, grains of corn on the floor, and figuring out how many growing seasons had been since then. And it worked out. Mm. Oh, wow. (laughs) You know, it strikes me about that is, you know, people talk about the ephemeral nature of what we have. And let's face it, even before the digital age, books are not an especially, you know, timeless way to hold on to knowledge. But it occurs to me that even if, you know, we tried in earnest to create some sort of uh, oral um, 
some sort of oral history that's handed down from generation to generation. Our, our brains are literally wired to not function like that anymore. I mean, our, our, our reality is literally, I, I would, I don't think it, we could be successful. You know, I think that there has to be several generations that have, that have sort of uh, put this, the, 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 the human mind has to be sort of in the, in a mode to retain uh, you know, information in that ma- in that manner um, before it can actually be a viable source of transmission. Right, right. Mm. Yeah, I, I mean, I think this is you're entering my wheelhouse of critical theory here. But <laughs> I think I think you're <laughs> ultimately. I mean, yeah, realistically, you know, industrialization occurred right a few hundred years ago, and ultimately we've started to um, started to we have. Um, started to govern our time, right? Based upon uh, time, minutes, hours, days, um, and, and anything that doesn't sort of occur within the, the sort of industrialized system of, of timekeeping, right? We often consider a waste of time or we (laughs) consider something else. Right. Um, so I I think you're right, Josh, I think it would take, I I think it would literally take generations for us to leave this system the, the problem is you know we're, we're not ultimately going to give up all of the perks of a post-industrialized society um that that come with with um i guess the benefits of of the technology we've developed and, and governing ourselves in this way is all totally unnatural obviously um humans were never really designed i think to function within the system that we currently live in um but you know, with with this sort of evolutionary process, I guess, into industrialization and into, I guess, now this, whatever we want to call it, the knowledge age or the information age or whatever it is, um, you know, are we prepared to give up hospitals and the internet um, in order to return to a more, I don't want to say traditional, but into sort of this uh, pre-industrial, strange temporal back, like strange way of measuring time and, and, and oral tradition? I don't, I don't know. think so because people it would be alien to, to quote a phrase, uh, quite a phrase to people to even think in that way, um, and also that uh, it is. I, I don't think we could function in that way. Oh, I know what I wanted to say that that oral traditions, contrary to what I used to think, sometimes are quite accurate. And don't oh, change yeah. over time. Oh, incredibly That so. surprised incredibly me, so. really surprised me, because the, the game of, of telephone isn't, or whatever it's called, is not going on when you're passing a story from one j- generation to another. I think I asked this of um, uh, Clifford Mahoudi, the, the, the Zuni guy. I said, mm, well, yeah. how, do you, you know, how do you make sure that these things aren't changed? He goes, because the elder will teach it to the younger person, and they have them repeat it over and over and over again until they get it exactly right. Exactly the way they heard it. And in fact, he said, I had to go, you know, to be initiated into whatever clan he's in or whatever society he's in. In the Zuni tribe, he said, I had to go up in front of the elders and repeat these stories. Tell tell the stories, dance the stories, whatever they are. And if I made a mistake, there was an audible kind of like, ugh, (laughs) you messed it up. <laughs> I remember this, yeah, yeah, and so that, that that was that fascinated me that this could you know with our Western thing we're just kind of like well people are going to forget stuff and they're going to add stuff because that apparently it's it's uh, oral tradition can be passed down very accurately which like I said surprised me. Mm-hmm. 
Well, you, you know, and then you look towards the future of where we're heading, you know, post-industrial, like what, what comes next? A lot of people believe, you know, that the singularity is the next step. Um, but then, like, what are you working with from there, guys? Like, is it a return to something? Is it something completely new that uh, we can't even fathom it yet? It it, it kind of scares me to think about um, where we're heading next with not only our communication, but, um, you know, any type of tradition or oral tradition and even history um, right. moving forward. We, we're seeing so much nowadays with fake news and whatnot, like history completely being revised, you know, in, in a heartbeat with one headline. Yeah. Um, it's, it's scary. And it, 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 I don't know what to make of it. It's very unnerving. Yeah, I think, you know, like you say, this post-industrial age, right, we've really compartmentalized our our um, our information. We, we've compartmentalized the, the spiritual versus the scientific or the factual versus sort of what we would consider sort of information versus what we would consider fiction or storytelling, right? We've, we've broken all of these ideas up um, into different compartments. Um, and ultimately, our ancestors, especially in ancient times, really, really never did this, right? Uh, you know, science was the same as as religion or faith, which was the same as storytelling, which was the same as as sort of information. Um, and they were still able to build pyramids, for example. You know, living in this system where um, science and storytelling, or 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 faith and fact, uh, coexisted simultaneously into one system. You know, like they, they still made you know like shit work, right? Um, yeah, <laughs> well, it was a coherent system. In, yeah, whereas in for you and I, right, if, if you sort of told, a, a, you know, a guys building airplanes, well, we're going to tie in the science with the storytelling, they'd look at you like you're nuts. Yeah. Um, and, mm-hmm. uh, and, you know, would the plane still fly, right, is, is the big question. Um, but when it comes to the future, right, I think you're going to have, I think what's going to occur, and, and this is just me, you know, talking on a mass and spitballing here a little bit, but I think you're going to have That's a... what the show's about. A brave new world style reality. I think you're going to have a huge segment of the population potentially move forward with whatever technological leap we make via a singularity, as you mentioned, Ryan. And then I think you're going to have a, a good segment of the population that, like, that's just going to simply say no. I think they're not going to um, engage in in any sort of future um, singularity project or any like you know transcendence film style, you know reality right where where humanity leaves a physical sort of meat body realm and enters some sort of digital um realm i I think you're gonna have a huge segment of the population just like in brave new world right the savages they're referred to they're gonna kind of live out in a trailer park and and kind of do their own thing um i don't know spitballing right no it's a good point and i know uh Greg, you brought up on your last episode with um two of our your other guests here uh this idea of you know, when one part of the community or, you know, one mindset believes that their truth is absolute and that nothing else matters and those people are wrong, um, that that's where I think this whole aspect of a brave new world sort of comes in and where, you know, what we once had as communication just completely breaks down. And uh, it, it's, again, I, I'm looking at it as a very disheartening thing, but I think there's a lot of uh, good things that could come from these technological advances. Oh, for sure. Uh, you know what I mean? Um, you know, tying it back to the film, this idea that mm-hmm. we now have the technology to look ahead. That doesn't mean we have to change the future, but at least we know where we're heading. And that's where that this whole idea, I think, of 
you know, free will comes in. It doesn't mean we have to alter the future. It just means we are aware of it and we still have that choice to keep it that way. Um, it's it's fascinating. This this film works on so many levels and has so much to do with the discourse that I think you know the five of us have all the time is this idea of looking at ourselves and then looking at the other and uh, why that other is so foreign to us. I guess. Yeah. How mu- how much of a you know, mirror is, is it of uh, what we what we think of ourselves? Uh, yeah, and, and that—that's. I think that's kind of a, a central theme in in that film, which is why it affected me on such a basic level. I mean, it it it. Uh, what's the word? It, it it hit all my 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 uh, bells, or rung all my bells, or hit all my targets, or whatever. I mean, um, not yeah. least of which is is uh, the role of language and you know alien writing. I mean, that's right. something that's interested me for a long time, and the fact that the the writing they have is not. It is not um, alphabetic. It's not even pictorial. It's mm-hmm. it does not represent anything but itself. At least as as far as the humans could tell that we're looking at it. Yeah, I found myself wondering this time if the first uh, intergalactic incident with the heptapods would be triggered by them misunderstanding a coffee stain. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you said what? Yeah. Oh crap. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I want. I, it'd be nice to have a set of uh, of uh, of uh, coasters that have uh, heptapod writing on them that you could put out at parties for everybody during coffee. <laughs> that would be awesome. <laughs> yeah, but one wonders if uh, if uh, an intelligence that has that kind of like uh, perception of time, if they will need to have like recordings of past events, you know, because to them, past, present, and future is you know the same. Yeah, they don't wouldn't have to have a recording of anything. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and this is something that kind of works. Immediate access. Mm-hmm. Because think about it, we we live in a in a time in which nothing is no longer set in stone, as it were. You know, uh, uh, mm. no longer we can rely on things that we <laughs> used to rely on to be like uh, inalterable. I mean, everything can be altered, can be revised, can be changed. You know, kind of in in the vein that George Orwell uh, warned us about in 1984. Mm-hmm. You know, especially online. You know, I mean, try just try to change your own, you know, personal web page on Wikipedia and see what happens. <laughs> you, know, you, have, you have one, and 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 then now that we rely less and less on trying to to remember things, you know, because we are always counting on everything to be at our disposal instantly just by, you know, saying, okay, Google, Yeah, you know, yeah. There, there's no, no longer that kind of like effort that Clifford Mahuri was trying to exercise when trying to uh, recite this ancient lore of their of his people, you know, perfectly without any kind of mistake. So I don't know. <laughs> this is kind of like uh, uh, something that worries me. You know, I mean, on on one aspect, I feel that you know technology is great. You know that. There is uh, some something liberating in the fact that I, I'm no longer gonna have to retain 
information that you know that is kind of like cluttering in my in my in my gray matter i i i only have to worry about how to attain that information that lives externally of me right but at the same time if i'm worried that we are becoming too dependent of this flickering and also uh, fragile form yeah. of you know the internet uh, becomes your memory until all the power exactly, goes down yeah and, yeah yeah well i think that that speaks so true to the film too miguel is this idea that well, this gift that these aliens who do not have memory that do not care about the past um mm-hmm. that the gift they give us is the most you know non-human aspect it's looking forward instead of back and uh you know some may see that as a gift some may not uh it's interesting to me you know what what really struck me and my girlfriend actually brought up this point and brought me to tears is this idea that amy adams character and this heptapod that died um that creature that alien knew going on this mission that it was going to die it knew that and it still went on the mission because that didn't matter to it in a sense it, it didn't care knowing that it was going to die it didn't care it had a mission to do and now amy adams i feel is thrust into that choice or that uh maybe i, I don't i, I don't want to use fate or destiny but knowing that her future daughter is going to die she still makes the choice to live that um that path, as it were. Well, you uh, can't do anything about it. I mean, that's just she knows what the time does not exist for anymore. It's a circle. It's just it's yeah. you know how do you deal with it psychologically? There's nothing you can do about it. Uh, but, yeah, yeah. But the aliens at that point, I think their their headspace is from the time they're born, they know everything that's going to happen to them and everybody that they know. And how does that affect their psychology? That makes their psychology yeah. truly alien. It's like, well, how the hell do you even have any intersection of communication with that kind of uh, intellect or whatever you want to call it, well, with that kind of my, uh, yeah, my brain? This is, this, is, this is interesting because I, I think we're using very, very sort of spatial and very human methods of interpreting the way the aliens are right i mean you, you're saying psychology for example which i think is a right. very human thing like they right. may not necessarily have this as a psychological factor i mean ultimately you're dealing with a species that does not register um uh, time in the same way we do right to them time would be equal to distance or in the case of space right like you know like you said right the, the distance between me physically sitting here and, and my laptop would to them would be temporal. So to them seeing their own death would be the same as walking down the street and getting their mail. Um, because again, time is circular, right there, there for them, there would be no beginning or end. Right? Yeah. They're in the center of it all the time. Yeah. And it's mm-hmm. interesting, right? Like when he dies, the, yep. the other heptapod refers to it. He's entered his death cycle. Um, yes, 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 yes. But, but ultimately is he actually dead? Right. Or does he simply continue to exist through time? It's just at this current point in in time, he is he, he suffered a, a fatal explosion accident. Well, I guess, you know, not accident. It was murder, I guess, technically. Yeah. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, he was murdered. Um, but he was murdered at this current temporal sort of juncture. But he exists along all other moments that we understand right right i mean yeah it's it's, it's something of a uh, temporal singularity in its own way right i mean it's it's everything layered all at once and perhaps yeah. i mean perhaps that's you know rewatching it it sort of looks like um 
Amy Adams is almost at first it looks like she doesn't realize that everything is ordained until she's in the moment and things are happening to her. But at the same time, like perhaps there is some sort of, uh, Hey, some sort of gnosis, um, about, (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) about, about realizing that I'm here. I am alive. I am simultaneously dead. This is all happening at one time. And it's this, it's this sort of positive resignation to the fact that to this, to this state of being. Yeah. Um, they're, They're born as Zen masters from our point of view. (laughs) <laughs> yeah yeah i mean it's it's almost like you know if your if your video game character dies it's not a tragedy because you, you know <laughs> if, if you have enough save points everything still exists and that everything still exists in this one state you know that's a kludgy metaphor but uh it's a kludgy metaphor but yeah i think it's um you know this idea that uh that it <sighs> you know see, seeing seeing the, the trajectory of the protagonist in the film seems very fatalistic. Um, but at the same time, it can also be viewed as very affirming in terms of the permanency of sort of existence, the permanency of your own reality. Mm-hmm. Um, I have to step out. Unfortunately, it is time for me to go. Oh, okay. You, you have been, I, you have been summoned. Yes. Um, <laughs> mm-hmm. there is, yeah, there's little people clawing at doors. Um, <laughs> oh, the okay, let's hear about that. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I'd rather not get into it because it's it's more frightening for me on my end than it is for you guys on yours. Um, <laughs> I, I'm just gonna, I, I'm just as, as I leave this conversation, I just want to point out, um, you know, the four of you and, and myself, we have been having literally for the last hour a purely philosophical conversation, and it's interesting that that five sort of members of the UFO culture community, you know, ufologists, whatever we want to call ourselves, ultimately have been engaging in philosophy. And while we've been talking about a film, we have been sort of dabbling in sort of real UFO discourse as it's been going on. And I just want to point out sort of as someone who works in, in sort of the philosophy of UFOs, um, this is literally what ufology is about. Um, so I just want to say thank you very much, gentlemen. It has been a very stimulating conversation. Well, thank you, MJ. Oh, thank you. I'm, I'm glad you're, you're able here. to make it in because it, it, yeah. uh, the, uh, what you said is exactly what's going on. And uh, that's, that's my favorite part of this show is when that kind of stuff can happen, going off topic and talking about something that's tangential to it. But then you realize it's very, very deeply embedded in what, uh, what we're looking at. So thanks. And no, thank you very much. Yeah. yeah. And I'd, uh, I'd love to sit down and chat with you guys any other time. Thank you so much. All right. We'll do it awesome. again. Take care. All right. Have All a right. great night. Okay. You too. You too. Bye. I wrote down some of the things that I I was uh, looking at as I watched. You know, I watched about half the film, then I had to actually do other things. So, the one thing I noticed that before I stopped watching is I didn't notice before is that the the guys that that set off the bomb inside mm-hmm. the inside the ship or whatever you want to call it, they show them before actually watching this Alex uh, Jones type guy saying, "What's the government doing? Why don't we shoot across their bow and see what's going on?" You see these guys mm. watching this guy's netcast, video netcast, and kind of going, hmm, huh, and about half an hour later, they blow up, try to blow up the ship. Uh, mm. the, the, the guy was a little bit too measured for Alex Jones, though. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. The, the guy was a he little... He didn't rip off his shirt or anything. So. No, no, he didn't. He, yeah, exactly. But I, I just guys, thought it was interesting. it's all a performance piece. Remember that. It's yeah, all exactly. a Yeah, yeah. He's, mm-hmm. he's, yeah, he's, he's making his own fake news or whatever it was. Yeah. Um, but uh, I just thought it was interesting, one, that, that, that it had affected these military guys, that kind of commentary. And two, and more importantly, that the aliens also knew this was going to happen. And they didn't, they didn't mm-hmm. say anything about it. Well, they couldn't really because they couldn't really 
um, communicate that. But the fact, the point was, okay, this is going to happen, but their ultimate thing is very, what's the word, compassionate towards humanity. Fine, we're going to lose somebody. We're going to blow something. Something's going to get blown up. We actually will protect the people that we need to communicate with because we know it's coming and be able to complete our mission or whatever it is of telling them what's coming, what's going on, and having this one seed, basically, Amy Adams, who writes a book about it. And then that meme begins to spread about how that language. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I never really thought about that. You're right. You're right. We go. Yeah, when you when you mentioned that, when I'm watching the last minutes of the film where she's teaching, you know, the alien language, um, I I do wonder how far that spread throughout the entire world. You know, in order for this uh, future that we that the aliens I think hope for or know that's going to happen, uh, how true that actually is moving forward. It, it is very, uh, you know. I don't know. It struck me as very interesting when you see all the nation flags and then you have the flag of the alien language, as it were. Um, That really caught my attention. Sorry, I'm texting with MJ here. (laughs) (laughs) He's not done talking. No, no, no. He was he was saying thanks so much, guys. And I hope to talk to you all again soon. That kind of stuff. Just being just being cool about it. Do any of you know exactly where he lives near? I'm trying Uh, to ask him that. He's in. Oh boy, I want to say Ontario. No, he's in Canada. <laughs> well, that narrows it down. He's in the he, north. Yeah. He can see Russia from his front porch. Yeah, that's yep, it. Yeah, yep, exactly. <laughs> that, that that part of Russia. Anyway, all, but, all I yeah. know is uh, he was worried about uh, black bears eating his child. <laughs> 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 that could have been the clawing oh, at the door. Let's hope not. Exactly. <laughs> no, it's just uh, it's just aliens clawing at the door. I'm trying to get this uh, alien idea right out of the, the UFO thing and just referring it to as something that's not us. Um, hey, on a lighter note, can someone tell me what sort of accent Forrest Whitaker was trying to do? Oh my do? god, what was that? I didn't even notice that. The place was yeah, it? Was yeah, he a little I, bit? It's uh, like this. It's like this. Yeah, I, it's I like this know, half I, Boston thing. <laughs> mm-hmm. I, I couldn't figure it out. It seemed like uh, he was, yeah, I, I don't know, very inconsistent in my opinion. But um, now I got to find it here. On yeah, the between this and Rogue One, it's been a it, <laughs> <laughs> between between this and Rogue One. It was a great year for Forrest Whitaker voices. <laughs> yeah, his you know, accent coach needs to be fired. <laughs> one thing that uh, that occurred to me <laughs> after I watched uh, the, with Greg the, a, a bit of the extra content of the arrival because uh, I managed to watch the, the concept that uh, the artist did for the heptapods. Mm, and yeah. I don't know if you guys have, uh, have watched those, but because it's not that easily perceived in the actual movie because of all the, the misty background in which the aliens are portrayed. But it struck me when I watched the actual, you know, the uh, digital paintings for the aliens' uh, uh, characters is that they were from uh, the, the the upper part of their bodies. They looked eerily uh, human-like. You know, like yeah. they were they were something like there was eerily resemblant of a human torso and a head. Yeah. Yeah. So. My- 
My wife called it. If if the director and the producers were trying to leave the door open for the fact that maybe the aliens were actually not, you know, coming from some other part of the universe, but maybe they were actual, you know, uh, future humans coming from, you know, some point of the, in, in, in in our future a la interstellar oh again spoiler alert guys <laughs> <laughs> i'm i'm so happy they didn't go with that at least in the film um yeah. you know it, it's a it's an interesting concept but i mean i think we can move past that both philosophically <laughs> and as creative writers of uh, <laughs> this term sci-fi you know what i mean my wife said that they look like Academy Awards on top of hands. <laughs> oh. You're right. Wait, here we go. No further developments from the site of the 12 UFO. And already the public expects us to know the answers. I'm Colonel G.T. Weber. <laughs> we never formally met, but two years ago you did some Farsi translations for Army Intelligence. Hmm. You made quick work of those uh, insurgent videos. Yeah, you're right. It's kind of a, it's an indeterminate accent. It's like an Irish Boston <laughs> Queens thing. It's all over. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I thought he did a good job, but like the accent choice was really interesting there, Forrest. <laughs> yeah. Mm. Yeah. Sorry. I, I dropped right in there and uh, derailed us by playing that little piece. <laughs> no, that I should have actually had great. little pieces ready to go um, from the film, but uh, of course, I don't uh, uh, prepare that well. Uh, no, I, I actually, uh, sort of piggybacking off what you said, Miguel, I thought it was an interesting choice to depict them. I mean, so I think in the book, they're, they're, they almost sound like some sort of like amoeba leg creature. Like, I don't really get this sort yeah, of yeah. cephalopod yeah. sort of shape. But like, Yeah, yeah. no, they the said they're they round uh, and have eyes all the way around, and they don't really have that thing going up o- above them, as yeah, I remember. Yeah, sort of an interesting choice. I think when she, when she actually gets into the mist with the... Uh, with uh, one of them, you, you see it drift by just like a cephalopod would, like a, like a squid would, you know, moving, um, you know, uh, tra- trailing its tentacles behind going through the mist. Um, and I, mm-hmm. part of me wonders if that was a choice in terms of, you know, uh, the, uh, the research that's been done talking about how um, the, the, one of the most intelligent, uh, you know, families and the family that is sort of poised to be an evolutionary success, successor for us is the cephalopod. And I wonder if there's a little bit of that um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. in there as well. So it's sort of a deliberate choice. Mm. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, the The line that really struck me too was uh, with the daughter saying, mommy and daddy talk to animals. That was her project name. Um, <laughs> this idea that these creatures or whatever they are, are uh, these aliens are animals, you know, in the perception of a young child. Um, that really struck me too, like this idea of where we're heading um, with all of our animals on our planet becoming extinct and whatnot. Um, I thought there was some interesting commentary there as well. I, I like the idea of this as a stealth Dr. Doolittle prequel. It could be. <laughs> it really could be. I, I think Eddie Murphy could use the work right now. And you, you, you know what? That that actually points to something. I don't think you could if you. This is one of those films that if you do a sequel to it, it'll automatically suck. Yeah, you just can't. Mm-hmm. It's like when they tried to make 2010. 2010 was a fine film, but it would have been a lot better if uh, it would have been a lot better if there was no 2001. Mm-hmm. You right. Know? I, I would have loved to have seen a 
I, I haven't caught into any of the extras on the on the Blu-ray yet because I just got it for my birthday yesterday. But um, I would love to see like uh, a feature-length mockumentary on the 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 heptapods. Um, oh yeah. But yeah, in terms of like a full-fledged like conceptual yeah. sequel, that's that sounds that yeah. sounds you know that stinks on ice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, Carlos said they were that uh, Forrest Whitaker was doing a military accent. <laughs> <laughs> the longer you serve in the military, and he would know, the farther your ac- your native accent gets from the original. That's actually, that's actually a really good point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that is interesting. Uh, Serena <laughs> says it's important to the them the the heptapods, the humans get the language interchanged by it, so they can help the aliens later. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, Serena says I couldn't understand him for most of the movie. <laughs> <laughs> oh, something that I did like, something that I liked a lot. I liked the way, because um, my dad said that when he saw it, his first thought was, well, you know, why didn't Radar pick them up? And then, of course, at the end, there's, they disappear in this wonderful, yeah. like, kingdom of the crystal skull, space between Ooh, yeah. spaces sort of way. Yeah. They just sort of turn into turn into mist, which I thought was a really um, well-measured choice. Like, that was a great, that, that was a great choice. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. That nothing in the film was obvious. Everything in the film, to me, well, all the important things were very oblique, which made me very happy. Obliqueness, mm-hmm. uh, uh, it, uh, it, it tears at my whatever, whatever you want to call it, my, 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 my emotional strings. Anything that's not direct, because when something's not direct, it's communicating a lot of things that can't be communicated by directness, and that's a really tough thing to do in any artistic endeavor i think might be a little bit easier in film but still Mm -hmm. i wanted so bad to connect this film to contact you know and even you know sagan's work and Mm. i you you can't do it you really can't well it may have some you know themes relevant to one another uh this film was so ambiguous and i think that says a lot about uh the alien civilization itself like you said Miguel, like that old trickster aspect um just teasing us and teasing us not meaning to do it in a playful way um but but with a purpose to, yeah. with a purpose to get us to a certain level zen master know? putting putting yep. uh putting uh, yep. uh, uh the whole film's a big koan you know right i think too much was spoon fed at the end of uh contact there you know when her dad is spoiler alert for anyone who hasn't seen contact God, you've had what thirty years now? No, not that much. I, I can't count. Um, yeah, it's interesting. Uh, the ambiguity of this film it really stuck with me, and I, I felt dumb after watching it the first time. But the second time around, I was much better. <laughs> well, there's there's a literalness to Contact that I don't think has aged very well. Um, it felt like a very good like '90s sort of um, understanding of of uh, I mean, not to not to approach these films as a ufologist because I, I think that's the worst way to approach cinema, probably. Yeah. yeah. Um. But but like but in terms of like the way like that was a very '90s way, a very '90s sort of way of un- understanding, quote unquote, the phenomenon in, the, in terms of like, well, we have our physics figured out, and we're you know we're on top of things, so this has sort of got to fit into that. I appreciated like the the wibbly wobbly as someone mentioned the wibbly wobbly timey wimey stuff in this. I think is <laughs> makes it much more makes it much more of a twenty first century 
film. I mean, it, it, you, you see the, the thumbprints of quantum thinking on something like this more than you would with contact. And I think in that sense, it feels a little bit more, the ambiguity seems a little bit more um, earnest than sort of the, the, the very cut and dry sort of, uh, sort of way that contact presented itself. Of course, the giant caveat here is that I haven't seen contact probably in about 10 years. Mm-hmm. Um, but I remember being very, you know, sort of underwhelmed is not the right word because I, I think there's, you know, there's a great philosophical undercurrent to that film, but it seems, it seems a little bit straightforward for my taste in terms of, you know, even if it is nuts and bolts extraterrestrials, which I have a huge problem with, um, even <laughs> if it is sort of a nuts and bolts ETH thing, it still seems a little bit too straightforward, if that makes sense. Um, whereas I buy this sort of like this sort of the the arrivals depiction of the ET of of you know extraterrestrial life as being the intelligence feels alien in this film, which is something that you don't ever see in 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 in, in, uh, in film. Yeah, it feels alien to us at this point in history in a way that makes sense to all of us sitting here talking right now. Uh, right. I think I mean, because, like I said, of the uh, oblique nature of it. Let's not tell you exactly what it is. Let's you, let you try and figure it out because that's kind of exactly what's going on with what people think extraterrestrials might be. I believe, unless you're too literal, which is a big mistake. I, mean, I can't think of I can't think of any other film that tries to depict extraterrestrial life as being this alien. I yeah. really yes. can't think of it. Yeah, um, you know, and and. <laughs> <laughs> it's so the refreshing Solaris. also a sort a sort of a, a sort of a oh, what'd you say solaris is a, it's a good example you know i mean the whole planet is a conscious being you know the way and the way that it uh, communicates with the humans is by uh manifesting their their dreams and aspirations See, I knew you'd have a good answer for that. I, I I saw Solaris a long time ago, probably before I appreciated any of this. Was that um, the, uh, so the that's Clooney a, movie? Yeah, but Clooney made like the Hollywood remake of of it. Oh, okay, okay. The original one is uh, Russian. Okay, I'm not familiar. I'll have to check it out. I haven't seen that one either, so go ahead, guys. But what happened? In any case, what I wanted to say about Contact is, to me, is not really about a movie about aliens. It's a movie about religion. I mm, think that yes. Carl Sagan there, back in the you know the the, the twilight of his uh, life, he was more interested about trying to warn uh, world about following uh, belief systems. A belief system, yeah, a belief system that was uh, fixated into ah. the limitations of doctrine. You know, I mean, the bad guy in that movie. Is you know some kind of like wacko uh, you know preacher guy you know with the long hair and all of that you know <laughs> kind of like Heaven's Gate kind of cult like kind of like guy and he is the one who manages to derail the whole purpose of building the the machine that the beings that the, the aliens like uh, beam their the the layout prints to humanity and in the end. Uh, Sagan portrays the ultimate paradox that when you receive some kind of like higher knowledge from a really unconventional uh, uh, nature of an unconventional uh, pathway and you have no way to like either corroborate it or replicate it following the footsteps of the of the scientific method, you know, then 
you know, how do you kind of like, uh, uh, like defend it? Yeah. You know, because isn't that what faith and that's the, 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 the paradox when the blue realize that, that, uh, differentiates faith from, you know, empirical, empirical knowledge, you know, the, 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 the blue realize that defines science and religion. If you are taking everything at face value, I, don't, I think they're they're not blurry at all. But once you start talking the way we are and looking at um, uh, human endeavor in the way that we're looking at it, that science and um, religion do blend, and and not in a way that's that you would hear on some new age show or whatever, but in the way that. Um, inspiration comes to somebody to exactly. make a you know some sort of a advance or quantum leap in some si- sort of scientific endeavor it's it's a creative um thing that it's it's not by deduction at, at all yeah how, um, how many scientific discoveries are the result of uh the person dreaming yeah. or receiving the, the 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 knowledge in a very unconventional way not by you know uh per, uh performing an experiment and uh, you know analyzing the results and oh aha you yeah. Know, it's, no. Most yeah. of the time is the eureka moment. Don't say, "Wow!" You know, you absolutely. Yeah. They also, down the the the, the, no, the answer. Yeah. Also, I've heard back chatter in the last uh, few years that there are plenty of people working in uh, in the scientific disciplines that's that say that their inspiration and it comes from some non-human intelligence telling them what to do. Or giving them yeah. suggestions, and they truly believe this, but they do not admit this to their colleagues. They don't bring, you know, they're not going to put it in their paper, but they firmly believe that that basically what we know is aliens are are giving them hints about things or telling them how to proceed. And there, there's a precedence for this throughout uh, a scientific uh, endeavor. I mean, the, the the main one I can think of is uh, what's it, George Ellery Hale, the one that said that uh, the inventor of the Hale Telescope in Palomar, who said that that uh, brownies and elves would come in at night and help him with his designs on the 200-inch mirror. He actually said this. And astronomers what? like, oh, he went crazy, you know, but he made a great mirror, but he was kind of going nuts at that point. Well, that was, he wasn't that, that not was going nuts at that, that point. That was a classic point that Terrence McKenna was fond of making, was that the fact that, you know, <laughs> an angel appeared to Rene Descartes and said that the conquest of nature was to be achieved through measure and number. Like, it was, you know, Descartes saw an angel that told him to found science, basically. Yeah. And that was this great irony that he perceived. Um and you know, but you have plenty of examples of this. I mean, you know, the the double helix, um, yeah. the uh, chemical structure for benzene. I mean, there are yeah, plenty yeah. of examples of people, you know, mm-hmm. getting divine inspiration for something like a, a or not even divine inspiration, a divine intuition for something. Yes, exactly. Um, Where it's not they, deductive from something else they've been doing, it just is kind of like a bolt out of the blue. And you know, what do they assign that to? Uh, right. I- Absolutely. And we know for a fact that a lot of these, you know, people we consider geniuses um, have been clinically diagnosed as schizophrenic at times. So you have this notion that there are voices speaking to them, helping them along the way. Um, Is that a form of this or uh, you have to wonder, you know, the the film A Beautiful Mind comes to mind. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Comes to brain. Yeah, yeah. Comes to head, (laughs) my dead brain. (laughs) Assigning some sort of agency being or something to your inspiration, 
I, I think that's, that's kind of normal. And I don't know if that's because you have to personify it or, you know, cause I haven't gone through it. Did I see that, you know, would I see what these people see when, when something like that happens to me? I have no idea, but maybe they need to personify it in some way. So it becomes fairies and elves or whatever model they've got. Here I am dropping into the co-creation thing again, but well, if it's, it works, yeah, yeah, it works, a, there was a TED talk that uh, was uh, posted at the Daily Grail. Oh God, three, four years ago, this woman who was saying that you know, that's, that sometimes <laughs> speaking to your muse and pleading with her or it, you know, in order to try to to um, ameliorate the, the struggles of the creative process actually had good results you know you could you could actually you know try to bargain with your with your muse give it an agency you know address it as if it was some kind of like external agent and as at crazier it sounds you know sometimes that brings results you know i mean people in, in the yeah, well, it's probably recursive of, yeah well, people in the creative side of things, you know, sometimes they resort to all sorts of rituals, to all sorts of uh, you you could almost say magical practices. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, they will yeah. mm-hmm. they they will put their type their, their typewriter machine uh, facing a certain window that is you know oriented in some position, and uh, right. they will start writing. Always at the same at the same time every day, you know, and they will sit in a certain way, and they will use a, oh, the yeah, same. Oh yeah, clothes, baseball players do know? this too. Yeah, yeah, because and it's it's, say, well, yeah. it's it seems to help. Go ahead, sorry. No, no, no. Go ahead, do. Because it seems to help that channel work. Whatever you're trying mm-hmm. to channel through, it seems like if if you you know. Uh, for creative people, I mean, maybe it's the same thing. But it, when I was pitching, I was pitching softball for quite a few years, and I would do the same thing every time. And sometimes I would great results, and other times I wouldn't. But I knew if I didn't do that thing, it would be in the back of my mind. I didn't do the thing the same way. And I don't know why I started doing it. It was just out of this habit. So you know, for for writing, you know, maybe, maybe I should be doing that, just doing the same thing every time. Every every time I write, it's just kind of torture, but. It's, a, it's well, like is, in the movies is, when they're trying to fix the radio or something, you know, and all of a sudden someone does something, and and for a and for a moment the the the, the radio flickers into mm. life. Mm-hmm. Say, oh my God, what do you do? Oh, I don't know. Well, do it again. <laughs> you, know? you don't really know how you are managing to receive the signal. So you're replicating every single thing that you did the first time that you actually got it. Yeah. Well, and, and this is why everyone is a magical practitioner, right? I mean, right. Yeah. <laughs> if, if you know, if if you check if you check the stove and before you leave the house and you <laughs> always put your sunglasses in the same place and so that you won't lose them, you're sort of you're sort of a a, a magical. It's it's all variations on magical ritual in a lot of ways because you're trying to ensure that reality will bend to your will through the you know re- repetition and ritual of of your life. Right, or at least yeah, won't yeah. bend away from your will. <laughs> <laughs> right. right exactly and then your it, keys wind up at the freezer and you're like how the hell did this happened <laughs> yeah yeah uh i i struggle with that sometimes guys it, it it does harken back to for me personally and i hope this doesn't offend anyone um but you know the idea about of, offending uh, people on this show 
I know it's Radio Mysterio. So what was I thinking? Um, <laughs> I'm going to be just, preemptively offended. Just so you know, <laughs> I'm already offended. Please go ahead. It, it's not that controversial. Just this <laughs> idea of um, divine inspiration, or you know, <gasps> a let's take like religion for instance, in terms of something speaking to you, and that like, oh, this was God's plan, or God told me to do this. Uh, it's it highly strips away that responsibility from the human enacting that. So I, I always struggle with that idea of, um, you know, something, uh, you know, maybe inspiring someone, some external force of some sort um, or internal force, I guess. Um, but that idea of stripping away the responsibility of your actions has always really rubbed me the wrong way. <laughs> yeah, I know. Uh, actually, uh, uh, Tina, Tina, Cena from, uh, who I knew from the Paramania last year actually posted something along the lines of this on Facebook, which was, uh, you know, oh, the, 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 the worst thing. Yeah, the worst thing about ancient aliens is that it assumes that human beings are not capable of doing anything innovative <laughs> or artistic. Or, Dude, you know. and, and similarly, I, I mean, similarly, you see films like you know talking about uh, demons possessing people. Like similarly, the idea that we that we aren't capable of just being complete, you know, shit heels ourselves um, without you know, any it, help. It, yeah. It's, we, 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 the devil gets a lot more credit than he deserves. Uh, is is a name of a song with a band I used to play with, and uh, that's that seems a very a very a very uh, accurate assessment of mankind's ability to just be trash. Yeah, the <laughs> yeah. devil is yep. boredom. That that's one. Of, that's something. There, there's another T-shirt for me. <laughs> no, but at the same time, you you listen to people who uh, believe in, in in the concept of channeling. Yeah, and. They say that uh, to attain, you know, to receive that signal, it 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 requires an incredibly strict discipline, you know, like you know, you're not allowed to eat um, red meat, you're not not allowed to drink alcohol, you have to like meditate the X number of uh, of of hours in the day, and uh, and so on. So, so it's so uh, it. It shows, apparently shows how difficult it is to become that instrument by which the signal is transmitted into the world. You know, so uh, it's not not that I I'm against what Tina uh, mentioned on Facebook, but it may, maybe in the purpose of spinning it, you know, just to become devil's advocate. You know, well, maybe for humanity to try to receive, you know, or, or and to actually put into words the 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 mandate or, or the advice from a, a higher intelligence it's not that as easy as it will as it will be perceived yeah mm-hmm. and like um uh i can't remember who the guest was i had oh it was jeff ritzman these things and i would include inspiration now not just uh, paranormal or ufo events these things happen almost by accident when you don't expect them but there has mm-hmm. to be you know in a creative thing you have to you know whatever that 90 percent perspiration and 10 percent inspiration you have to lay the groundwork for it and there's yeah. a lot of sweat going on before that you know completely unexpected probably not exactly what you thought inspiration or solution comes to you yeah, um, and and then and then insert you know insert lust for results you know warning right, right. here yeah Bernie Mooney says, "I don't know what that snot nosed kid Sprague said. Uh, kid said, but I'm highly offended." <laughs> <laughs> Damn millennials! Yeah, 
<laughs> Scott you know, Sikora. Yeah, play, playing, so playing David's advocate, you know, yeah. and toying with the ancient alien thing, you know. So, yeah, maybe someone came or manifested or beamed down to our ancestors a long time ago and tried to impart this knowledge. But maybe there was someone like uh, in the character portrayed by Amy Adams, you know, someone trying to breach that immense gulf between human consciousness and the consciousness of another intelligence, you know, and so that probably deserves some type of some yeah. type of merit, right? Yeah. Or they mm-hmm. became, you know, they they were they escaped the time thing for a little while and were able to understand things that people that were stuck in the time thing could not. Although, you know, time was a different, uh, you know, as uh, MJ pointed out, time was a different um, thing to people in the pre-industrial age, and also in you know in in different societies than ours even right now. So mm-hmm. I think it probably took somebody who was unstuck from that culture's way of looking at things to either receive a message or come up with an inspiration or whatever it is, or, you know, pull it out of the ether because it was their, their turn to do so, whatever, whatever model yeah. you want to use. And they became the oracles. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or the, or the shamans or whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And significantly you're supposed to do things that, um, unhook you from, uh, one daily life, uh, routine, uh, as Ritzman said, and, and your and your society and the rules of that society to become the person that can, that has their antennas up for those kinds of things, mm-hmm. uh, which also goes back to you know how how crazy or out of line does somebody has to have to be before these inspirations become you know the kind of things that you want to listen to. I mean you you can't stand to be around them, but you love their artwork. Uh, yeah, I've right. always I've always been you know I wanted to write an essay one time and people like Kubrick and and um, uh, oh, 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 um, Stone um, the director Oliver Stone Oliver Stone, Oliver Stone. Uh, a few oh, other people like this are absolutely horrible people to get along with but look at the look at what they produce so I mean, it's, it, 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 death of the artist that's my big thing you know mm-hmm. um, yeah what the Sorry. artist. I, 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 Death of the artist, like you know, this idea that, like you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Polanski is a piece of shit, but like he made some great films, <laughs> yeah. you know. Woody, Woody Allen has done has allegedly done some stuff that's pretty sketchy, yeah. Um, but he, you know, his art stands on its own merit. I mean, you know, fucking Wagner. I mean, <laughs> you know, that full motherfucker, stop right there, you know. Uh, fucking uh, Wagner, full stop. T-shirt. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> which is which is why it bugs me in this age of you know of, of um of people getting you know absolutely crucified for making one misstep in speech that people automatically jump to you know hating their work. I mean the the art stands you know on its own by itself. Um, I, I think it's part of the reason that so much art can be transcendent is because it sort of takes on this Frankenstein's monster life of its own and, 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 Mm. and touches on things and speaks to things that not even the original creators intended, but just because of this weird alchemy, um, and almost taps into this sort of, uh, uh, you know, uh, meta meta narrative of humanity in terms of the way that it will resonate with people and the way that will actually, you know, become more timely or something you know it's 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 sad to me that people can't learn to divorce the creators in the in the in the the product more than they can 
Yeah. I think a lot of that has to do um, with the cult of celebrity as well. Like we, we either, uh, like you said, we crucify people for one remark or we uh, we let them off much easier than we would like oh, our neighbor yes. yeah. or our teacher or, you know, our priest. We let them off, um, you <laughs> know, scot-free because yeah. they're a celebrity and they need to go make that movie so that or, we or can be entertained. <laughs> If you're a football player, you can get away with murder, literally, usually. Literally. Yeah. yeah. And continue playing and be, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, does that mean I have to step in again? I'm so sorry. <laughs> this, is get off my, this is get off my lawn hour with <laughs> the, world's, the world's oldest millennials here. This is completely off topic. Uh, somebody said, who should play who should play Paul Benowitz in a film adapt- adaptation? <laughs> Ooh. Oh, I said Dan Aykroyd. Who? Gonzo Nick Cage. Yeah. Like, <laughs> Nick Cage. That's what I want to see. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good one. Um, I'm uh, I'm Googling a photo of Benowitz. It's been a long time since I've seen his photo. <laughs> and I think I, I really think it should be Dan Aykroyd. In fact, uh, uh, John, somebody John ta- who? John Malkovich. That's another good one. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. Let's um, see here. Yeah. If somebody was to make a film of what you believe is going on with the UFO subject, how do you think that would be treated? And I, I will throw um, Arrival out because that's that's one real good example of it. But have any of you given any thought is how could you – Take the ideas that we're talking about here that go in that uh, also you know go into what we're interested, what we're talking about, what is going into um, Robbie's book in, into uh, reframing the debate. How could that be um, made into some sort of narrative that would co- that would uh, convey these ideas? Have you ever any of you oh, ever given that I'll, any thought? Oh, I'll jump oh, in real wow. I'll jump in real quick here because like number one, if you made the movie, it would be awful. <laughs> I think yeah. because it'll be so ambiguous, the audience will be clamoring for more. But I think in terms of something that I've seen that really resonates with me in terms of being something that has depicted the UFO phenomena in a quasi in a quasi realistic way or not really realistic, but a quasi authentic way. It's probably a better way to put it. Um, season two of Fargo. I loved Um for those of you who aren't watching Fargo, shame on you because it's actually an awful idea that turned out fantastic. Um, this is what I've heard. I, 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 I haven't watched yet either. So, go yeah, ahead and season, me. Like season two has um, there's a an inside there's an incident that happens in the first episode along with a murder where there's a murder and someone sees a UFO and it's right. not explained. It's not this like it's not this thing where like it's a huge part of the plot even though it does. Oh, I heard about this. Yeah, um, but it's it's just a thing. It's just it's it's like sunshine. It's like the wind. It's like you know. It's like a sudden. Uh, it's like a rainbow. It's just it's just a thing that happens. Um, later later in the series, another Perfect. character is later in the series series another character visits that same spot and looks at the ground and notices his watch. He looks back. His watch is two hours later. Um, and then the sort of climax of the series has sort of a a very. Um, gratuitous ufo appearance but again it's not explained it's not like oh the aliens were trying to you know 
ensure that XYZ happened or they were interested in this or that. Um, it's just a part of the texture of life. And I think that that has a very authentic ring to it. So in terms of like media that's happened so far, that's that's got to be up there for me in terms of just the way that it's depicted as, as something that just happens in life. It's not part of some sort of vast conspiracy. It's just it's like, you know, it's like a it's like a it's like the sun going behind the clouds. There's a yes, UFO. exactly. There, it reminded me huh, because Fargo is based on a film by the Coen brothers. The Coen right. brothers produced a film that nobody saw called The Man Who Wasn't There. Who wasn't there. Yep. And there's yeah. a UFO sighting in it for no reason whatsoever. It's that exact same um, attitude that's in, the, in this entire second season. And it's, I find it really compelling, honestly. And it's also that's- damn good television besides that. <laughs> but uh, yeah. yeah, I got to see it because it gets it's hard for me to get hooked on things because it means I have to sit there and watch TV and it's hard oh, it's, for me to sit and watch TV. The last thing I was hooked on was True Detective and um, what's the other stupid one? The, the first season and uh, uh, Making a Murderer and Stranger Things. Those are the last three things I've actually well, binge watched and actually watched all the way through. Fargo has a thematic richness that rivals True Detective, if you can believe it. Oh. Um, and it's also hilarious to boot. So you've got those two <laughs> things going for it. So yeah, I've heard. There's some, I got to yeah. watch Parks and Rec, all these things oh, people have told great. me to see. So. Yeah. <laughs> no UFOs in Parks and Rec, I can tell you that much. I binge watched it <laughs> so, all so the way through. It's a conversation, somebody else's turn. Yeah. Also, and the same question. I mean, I guess, is there any way to depict this stuff without being so. It would, I guess it would have to be a short film, maybe, mm-hmm. to begin maybe. with. Because I don't know how you could sustain this like obliqueness over an hour and a half to two hours. There's no way. It would have to be some sort of documentary series, or a, a, yeah, maybe even a television series. You know, yeah, which is yeah, There's... which is is a brand new form of of uh, of uh, media that was is not what it used to be. Right. Yeah. Right. And we know within the UFO, uh, I guess, discourse or research community um i i hate to quote stephen bassett but he calls it the intellectual ghetto so right there you have this whole idea that there's so many ways you could go with it and uh like you said joshua it's gonna be it's not gonna be that good of a movie let's be honest i think what arrival did right is really tackle that philosophical aspect like uh mj said and i don't see a much more beautiful or mind expanding way to really look at it to be honest I mean the part that uh, makes uh, makes a rival stands out from the rest is the, the personal discourse that's happening in the mind of the protagonist and this is something that is only being uh, shared with the viewers you know it's something that is not shared with all the characters that are you know playing their part in the in the movie so i don't know i mean the way that i will play that 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 kind of like movie that will kind of try to convey the the wacky reality of the ufo phenomenon it will be shown in a small theater (laughs) and i will start you know very uh conventionally and maybe at the middle of it something will happen you know there there will be a blackout or something and then 30 seconds later after we will say well what the hell is going on the, the the projector will start showing rec- something that is completely, <laughs> you know, unrelated. You know, but everybody <laughs> will start scratching their heads. And what? what yeah, what so happened? it's more like an art piece. 
Yeah, exactly. And and, and the minute they're, they're leaving or something, something will happen that, you know, will say, whoa, like, I don't know, that minute that they will show something in the projector that is happening in the homes of one of the people who are actually watching the movie, you know, they, they will see, mm. you know, their wives having sex with someone, you know, <laughs> yeah. as a rabbit or yeah. something. Yeah, know? but like, I mean, what you're sort of what you're getting at is like to be truly authentic to the UFO experience, it has to have this sort of dream logic. And, exactly. you know, right, there would right. be there would be right of spring style writing in the streets of a movie that <laughs> did that like i want my yeah. money back damn it like, you know, <laughs> why why do these why do these three italian guys give him some a bunch of pancakes in exchange for some water and then take off in a, <laughs> in a flying you will, bowl you right. try to convey the same kind of like uh, uh and then a headless dog runs across the street. and revulsion <laughs> yeah. that that jack nicholson has in the movie the shining you know the man the, the moment that he goes into that room and he sees that beautiful naked woman, and he, you know, uh, kisses her, and then he opens his his eyes again, and then the the, the woman turns into this horrendous, decrepit hag. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If you manage to to make every people watching that movie feel that in a very personal, personal, in a very kind of like intimate way. That will be the perfect way to convey the 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 reality of the UFO phenomenon to an audience. Yeah, and then the way mm. that we're we're going now, the uh, lawsuits would follow soon after. <laughs> well, yeah, everybody yeah, have to yeah, sign I mean, a release so- before they come in to watch whatever what to have any kind of experience yeah. that you. Well, they already kind of have that in whatever those those are called um, the 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 puzzle rooms or whatever, and 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 horror stuff. But yeah, to to go into something that's. That it would have approached the thing that I, I said about you know what kind of art could you produce that could change somebody's life in ten you know in a minute, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know that's a UFO sighting. Can is that's there anybody? A UFO that, yeah, can anybody um, do that with with knowledge beforehand? And if they if they can, what are the ethical you know considerations of such a thing? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you know, I don't know how you break down that, you know, is that wall, should that wall be broken down? And if it is, what does it do to people? Does it, is it, does it become actionable? Meaning somebody's going to say, you ruined my life and now I'm going to sue you. Um, that That's something that's, I guess it's been pushed on the stage and in film and all this for, for probably forever. But nobody's mm-hmm. ever really gotten, I mean, what Grand Guignol actually got, sort of got to that point because that was way beyond what people would, would accept in Paris in uh, what the late nineteenth century, um, but yet, yet they did it. So you know what 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 would be going on now? I don't know. Michael Huntington uh, came on the Radio Mysterioso and said, "You need to talk about all UFO cinema, TV shows, and documentaries. Many influencers of the culture and many influenced by real events. Some of these played off one another, hand in hand with the exploitative and sensational news and tabloid press that reflected and influenced the popular culture and its modern mythos." Um, mm. uh, w- with the mythos and interpretations changing with each generation's cultural and political needs. I better stay in front of the microphone here. Discussion of media and culture influence ha- has to occur if you to get at the heart of UFO cinematic history. This is why I was sorry that Robbie couldn't be on with us. Yeah, yeah, yeah he yeah, could yeah. really dissect this. Yeah, it's such a delicate balance. It's such a uh, 
like a marital thing, you know, between Hollywood and the whole UFO discourse, like the chicken and the egg thing. We always come back to like what what was inspired by which it's it's fascinating and it's frustrating because we don't know. We don't know when it started and uh, what was inspired by what. But we deal with that all the time, you know, especially since the modern inception of the UFO era with Kenneth Arnold and everything. Didn't see a flying saucer. Everyone saw flying saucers after that. We 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 know this for a fact. Um, yeah, I really do wish Robbie could uh, be on. I hope you're able to get a small segment with him. Yeah, well, I told him, look, uh, we will, uh, and, and Michael, thanks for putting that comment up which was wonderful. I don't know if anybody even still, um, well, we did. I was going to say, uh, did we answer the question about what kind of film would, you couldn't. You, you, could you not, really couldn't. Yeah, you could not convey the kind of strangeness um, and non-specific uh, nature of, of the phenomenon <laughs> in anything that you could present to people in a normal format. If if you had to put it in the hands of David Lynch and let him do his thing, <laughs> you know that's that's, true. that's the person who would probably come closest to to nailing that aesthetic. I think. Yeah, yeah, and the Twin Peaks is what on twenty first of next month is the first new one. I think it is. Uh, I think so. Yeah, sounds right. Yeah, sounds right. It's on uh, May twenty first is the twi- the the next season of Twin Peaks premiere. I guess X Files is going to have a, that's been all over the place too. They're going to have another season. You know, it's interesting about the X-Files. I saw a lot of people reacting to the new season critically, but like um, because of sort of the sort of right leaning governmental conspiracy angle. But I think that like I think that people are missing the point Hmm. of what the X-Files does. I mean, so here's the thing. Um, Indiana Jones was made to reflect the popular literature of the time that it was set in, right? So that's the reason that right, you get sort right, of the, right. the, you get sort of the, the pulp the pulp like for example, Temple of Doom is kind of in a weird way the best Indiana Jones movie because it's so pulpy, it's so nineteen twenties like Well adventure. you shouldn't have mentioned Indiana Jones because here is one person who didn't like the movie. <laughs> I know, I know, right? Um yeah, heresy. <laughs> but that's what I, I don't think a lot of people understood that about, for example, Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, like the film represents the pop culture of the time, so he's in the 50s now, so he should be doing 1950s thing, which things which was all about flying saucers, right? I feel like The X-Files occupies a sort of similar state. The, the X-Files in the 90s was doing very 90s X-Files-y kind of stuff. Um, very, you know, you can't trust your own um, sort, of, sort of the distrust of the government, but in a very um, – in a very uh, clinical, well, a clinical way, I guess what I'm saying is that like the 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 reboot of the X Files being set in the modern day definitely reflected sort of the the paranoia of modern times and the way that right. it would have to not trust it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's it, it, it's different in terms of like um, I, I suppose that like the '90s conspiracy theory was. The government is in on it and in complete control. And like the the uh, the twenty first century version is the government is in on it and doesn't have any control. Yeah. <laughs> so, so um, you know, so I, I, I feel great. like a lot, a lot, I feel like the reboot got sort of. Uh, I don't. I don't think people understood quite what it was doing. I suspect. Yeah. Um. Not, I not did, and I, I kind of liked X- it better. Yeah. I mean, I'm. I'm not even a big X Files guy. Me either. But, um. 
never have. I appreciate been. what they were appreciate what they were trying to do in that sense. Um, but uh, how did I get started on the X Files? Uh, because I, I said that's that's coming. It's uh, the new series has been announced is that that it's going to oh, yeah, uh, yeah, go yeah. ahead. So I'm like, I kind of want to see him take that. I mean, don't get me wrong. Like at the end of the day, I'm a monster of the week kind of guy. But if they have, <laughs> they will obviously have to engage in sort of a conspiracy angle. And you know what? Go ahead and ride this out. Like and and uh, you know, feel free to be subversive with it and flip it on the head. Where you know. Right, who's watching right, right. The who's watching the Watchmen sort of thing? They're gonna um, they're gonna be yeah. listening to these shows and and a lot of these podcasts and starting incorporating a lot of this stuff into the shows, <laughs> which they didn't have back then. Somebody I knew that was a set decorator on X Files, the original ones. He said that there were copies of my magazines on the set. No shit, really? which really freaked me out. I, I can't I can't wow. wait for the episode featuring. Uh, Maverick podcaster Beg Grishop. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's not going to work. Um, yeah, well, I never really watched the original ones because I watched two or three, and I'd look at them and go, "Oh, come on!" You know, they could have done so much better with that. And that was my attitude a lot, except for their that like be all end all UFO episode with all the references to Phil Class and everything in it. Um, I liked that one because it was just a big inside joke for an hour. Um, absolutely the, the the you know the 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 one i can't remember what even happens in it except that the same thing happens like three or four times from different po- people's point of view just you know a la kurosawa um um uh quentin yeah, tarantino etc etc from outer space Backward, uh, side yeah, yeah 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 that's it yeah that that's the only one i ever watched where i truly enjoyed it and the, uh, i think the other one was the um one with the uh monsters living at the uh uh the call center Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Very creepy. Yeah. So th- those are the two that I really saw because I, I, I think I've seen a total of ten in my life, and those are the only two that really stick out of my mind. Something I really enjoyed because when I'd watch them, I like I said, I'd see it and I go, well, they could have done so many different things with that. They ignored so much in that story that could have enriched the story so much, and that's why I really did enjoy it. And then the second series seemed to address that a little bit better for me, or it caught up with you know some of the ufological thinking and uh, as um. Uh, I think it was Josh said just now, was it you? That you said that they were, you know, government didn't, first series government knew everything. I wouldn't tell you. Second, uh, government didn't know anything, wouldn't tell you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. basically. That, that's a much more succinct way of what I try to say. Yeah. Yeah. Which I, I, you know, that more, you know, not that my view of anything is reality, but that more affords with my point of view about what was going on. So that's why I enjoyed it a little bit better, I think. Well, the, the other good, you know, interesting thing is that. This was all leading the end of the original X-Files Files series to, you know, an invasion of Earth in 2012 by this alien race. You know, the season, you know, the series ended. We got that bullshit second movie and this yeah. invasion never happened. So, like, Carter had to somehow <laughs> answer for that. You know what I mean? Yeah. And we yeah. we returned to a disillusioned Mulder who was promised an invasion and it never happened. So what do you do? Oh, <laughs> it's a well, ufological meta-narrative, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. So I, I, I agree that I think it was very interesting that he took this completely, you know, 360 and saying that this is a conspiracy of men, not of aliens. And then we end this new season with a spaceship, you know, possibly coming down again to take Scully or whatever. Spoiler alert. Um, yeah. So now, now we're, what are we to think? I think it's very, when it's very pro- clever. When prophecy Our, fails. Exactly. 
he's in he's a very smart man when it comes to uh creating story i just think he has to stop writing dialogue (laughs) (laughs) so here's 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 an old recycled uh where did the road go question what would you like to see the new season of the X-Files cover? If you could pick one or two like topics that would make a good arc or a good uh, incorporation, like what would you like to see get folded into the X-Files mythos? Mm. More in, cryptids, in my opinion. In Paranormalia, <laughs> yeah, I think it would be fun. Yeah, they, Slenderman. They, Slenderman. Oh, yeah. Interesting. The whole nice. urban, urban legend uh, aspect has never been touched, really. Skinwalker. Yeah. Yeah, dog, dog, sure. uh, wolf yep. people, dog people, uh, black-eyed kids, okay. uh, all that stuff. The yeah, they they oh, seem yeah. to always uh, lean towards a supernatural or alien. We we rarely got to see any cryptozoological right, things. Right, right. And when we did, they were really good episodes, in my opinion. Yeah, because they would go off. Yeah, they would go off quote unquote off topic. But it was like a like, monster episode, and there was a version of the Jersey Devil episode that was like cryptid hominids but it was like relict relict neanderthal man or something i think yeah we'd uh, love to see an episode in which you know uh, Mulder is looking for you know gray aliens and he so all of a sudden stumbles into a bigfoot and the bolt say ah yeah <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah or, or the dover demon has to answer for itself that, that, that'd be a good one right uh, that'll, that'll be a good one i'll be good one. or um <laughs> I, I want to see. Uh, I want to see Mulder yeah. take five dried g- grams in Silent Darkness. <laughs> Mulder's, Mulder's bad trip. Another <laughs> one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It would just be. It would just be. Um. You know, to 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 uh, an hour of uh of uh very cheap CGI with uh, video feedback and stuff because that's what that stuff looks like. When I worked in video <laughs> for the longest time, whenever we got like a problem where like the tape would get. Uh, the digital tape would get creased or something like that, or suddenly a bunch of the oxide would fall off, and then some, you know somebody's face would disappear. We'd all say, "Oh, people pay thousands of dollars for that." <laughs> That's a very expensive effect, and it was just like some stupid thing that happened to the tape. I've got a picture of one of them where uh, there's a guy speaking, and his face is complete digital mess, and the rest, the entire rest of the picture is fine. Um, hmm. And it's I don't know how you could get. Yeah, I guess you could pay for that effect, but it just happened because the um, something was wrong with the electronics where the face was moving and the rest of the stuff wasn't, so it couldn't handle the movement, so it just screwed up the face. Um, <laughs> those kind of effects would be very interesting. Actually, that's the kind of thing that uh, uh, Miguel and I um, talked about before he went and worked on the cover of uh, of uh, Reframing the Debate. Like, how do you make the UFO in the center look uh, non... Mm. You know, out of focus or whatever. Out of focus is too easy. And he came up with that great, you know, idea of or, having the 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 the, the color um, registration off, or a non iconic. That's that's also another thing. You know, you don't want to say that's you know that's the uh, that's an Adamski craft. <laughs> you right. Don't say. Although that's actually you know the Mac uh, the Trenton UFO, the one that I used. Oh, oh, was it really? oh okay. Yeah, the okay. Tr- uh, tr- uh, tr- uh, Trent uh, McMinnville. The Trent, yeah, yeah, the McMinnville, yeah. The old top hat. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, well, we've uh, we've pushed it here another like ten minutes, so um, I will probably let you guys go here, uh, and I will talk to you all soon. And I'll also tell you when um, this is posted. Uh, this was one of those shows where I had 
way more fun than I should have. And Ryan, we have to talk again. And of course, I'll have you on the show uh, uh, on your own here in the next few weeks, if that's fine. And if you have time. Oh, that'd be wonderful. No, I, I've I've been listening for a while, man. I love I love just hearing you guys talk, to be honest. And I think that's what your show does that many don't. And, uh, you know, it's tough. It's tough to find that. But like you said, you know, there's broadcasting and there's podcasting and you're doing it right. So I keep it up and I'd be honored. You mean you love hearing us talk Barry White style? Because we <laughs> can do that all night long. <laughs> and the, and the Terrence McKenna. Yeah. <laughs> That's tied for the best Terrence McKenna uh, impersonation I've ever heard. And I've only heard uh, about three or four, but that's tied for first place. <laughs> well, you know what they say. I just try to do whatever I can. You know. <laughs> yeah. I'm only one man. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Josh. Josh Cushion, thanks so much, and What's Miguel it? RPJ, thanks you, thank you again too, and um, I'll talk to you all again soon before we even do another show. Um, uh, these roundtables are great, and I'm gl- glad that, uh, like I said, Ryan could join us for this one. So Ryan is the new person; he gets to pick the outro music. Mm-hmm. Oh wow, I, I forgot about this aspect of the show. Okay, what are we going to do here? As long as I can find mm-hmm. it on either I have it or it's, it's on uh, YouTube or somewhere, I can get get uh pick it up real quick gotcha gotcha oh man and you can take a while this is what editing's for and this is why podcasts are great that's a great yeah very good point um although we're all waiting we're at your pins and needles i'm gonna go with people are strange by the doors oh okay perfect yeah i haven't played that one actually that hasn't been a request yet (laughs) here we are people are strange by the doors thank you guys People are strange when you're a stranger. Faces look ugly when you're alone. Women seem wicked when you're unwanted. Streets are uneven when you're down. When you're strange, faces come out of the rain. When you're strange, no one remembers your name. When you're strange. When you're strange, when you're strange People are strange, when you're a stranger Faces look ugly, when you're alone Women seem wicked, when you're unwanted Streets are uneven, when you're down Strange. When you're strange